lesson for part one. So just reviewing the video of the lesson material. Basically, a quick summary is Jeremy, he goes through, first he reviews some of the bigger concepts, like what are convolutions, max pooling, and a dense layer. And more or less, those are just like different steps in the deep learning process and sort of how they work to like condense information and make bigger abstractions. Um, and then through an Excel sheet, he walks through a basically how you control the learning rate. So as you know, like use the derivative to figure out to lower the loss function. And so as you get closer to the minimum, you need to decrease the learning rate. And there's a bunch of different ways to do that. So you can visualize it after you watch this lesson. And then um, he actually, which is a real treat, he walks through his setup for solving the next Kaggle competition called the State Farm competition. And here he um, basically takes what takes the process that he developed in the last lesson, like the five-step process, and then just applies it to mm. State Farm. And um, I think that's really cool. And he sort of ends on adding a few extras to it. So main one of which is pseudo-labeling. So um, by taking sort of the, the validation inputs or something like that, and using them as, like, I guess, as part of the data set, you can increase the, like, success rate by 25% or something like that. So from, like, 75 to, like, 82. I don't know. Um, and then finally, talks a little bit about um, recommender systems. So as, in preparation for doing neuro-linguistic programming. Sorry. Natural language processing. Natural language processing. Natural language. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's fine. We'll get there. So yeah, that was a lesson. Um, so and then I guess we can we might all be in different spots with our learning as this continues going. So we'll just quickly share where we're at um, learning wise. Maybe everybody can start. Um, I. I was traveling this week, so I couldn't accomplish much. I listened to about half an hour uh, in the f lesson four video, and I read notes for a little while. Uh, I I probably spent about three hours of, of studying, and that covered about the first forty minutes on the video lesson video. So that was just understanding how SGD was done in Excel, which was fantastic and really intuitive, but uh, I didn't get far ahead with that. Edric? Yeah, for me, I um, spent maybe a couple of hours um, and that was just basically spent on watching the first half of uh, the video. Um, yeah, I just learned about like you said, the SGD a little bit more, but in Excel uh, convolutions and just yes, yeah, CNN architecture in Excel, which is pretty pretty fun. Uh, but yeah, like uh, would have liked to have spent more time, but I just was really busy with uh, like work stuff and over the weekend. So <laughs> that's where I'm at. Cool. 
Um, yeah, I visited New York over the weekend, more or less, to visit my uh, parents, but Woo-hoo! I saw Hedrick there too. And so I only really did, like, yeah, I only really did an hour and a half of work, basically, like, listening to um, the video while doing the dishes. <laughs> but the week before that, I had I had done a lot of work because we took a break last week. So I'd done all of the readings that were recommended and read through the wiki notes and listened to, like, half the video. So I'm, like... 20 minutes away from finishing lesson four, just watching it. And I read all of the reading. So I've got like a pretty good handle on things. Um, yeah. So I guess first one is heart mind, uh, heart pass. So things that you had to overcome or in order to get to where you are today. Well, I had a 22-hour flight, so there were a lot of obstructions to my learning this week. I had to adjust to a different time zone. I'm in India now, and uh, still getting used to the life here, so I wasn't able to do much, but then I knew we were meeting for the podcast, so that was exciting, and I managed to invest three hours this week. Yeah, I mean, mine's kind of like the same thing too, except, you know, I, I wasn't in, in India or like I didn't get transported, but yeah, I've just been really busy. Yeah, so I've been working on this. Um, so for our work, um, we're working on improving the matching algorithm that takes into account um, like what the student wants and in our case also what the coach is passionate or like strong in terms of skills and yeah, stuff like that. So yeah, I started like looking into it, hoping that like I was gonna find something like super crazy data science magic. Um, <laughs> but as of right now, it was just like meh, like cool, like yeah, maybe your model predicts like sixty percent accuracy um, uh, for whether or not something is a good match. But it's not like eighty or ninety or the things that we see here in. Um, you know, practical deep learning for coders. We, we kind of got pampered by neural networks with lots of data. I don't have that. Um, I can't afford that because we don't have that much data. So, <laughs> fun. Cool. Yeah, for me, um, I had, I guess, I, I tried another way of going through the material uh, a few weeks ago, which was first I read the forums first and then I read the like the homework stuff and like I guess that like reading the forums I was like oh how long is it gonna take but later on there's only maybe a hundred posts and so you could skim through that in like 15 minutes since a lot of them are not that uh, dense and then um so that just gave me a sense for what people might have issues with after like not even knowing what the lesson was about so i was like okay cool like that gave me some confidence actually about like this isn't too confusing um i feel like if i did that earlier on though that may have been really difficult because people had like more Mm. questions i think earlier on with setting up the architecture but uh at this point i was like okay cool like not too much is going on and then um i also uh 
read through all of the notes, so I set like a time limit. Because I was like, uh, I never do the reading, which I felt bad about, so I'm just going to try and do at least look at all of the reading rather than never looking at it. Cause it's, so there's like a big hole for me in some of the previous lessons of like not having looked at any material. So I was like, I'm just going to look at all of the things now. And so luckily this time also the reading was really easy. <laughs> like a lot easier than some of the reason, reading I've seen in the past. So it was like also exciting that I could understand all, most of it. Like, and it was about recommend recommender systems. But I was like, oh yeah, this all makes sense um, and got me pretty excited since it's a foundation for um, natural language processing. So apparently, I don't know why it, that is, but um, yeah. So those are things that like I've sort of felt like a little um, anxious about and just found a way into it and ended up being like a good way to go about it. And yeah, that sort of leads into sort of what I'm excited about, um, like the so heart future, like the um, the the recommender system stuff. Especially reading it in order was pretty exciting because like each one was sort of a new twist on a just a, a just established idea. So I was like, oh man. Um, like pseudo labeling plus like um, you know deep learning equals like a great recommender system, something like that. Um, <laughs> so that was all. That was pretty exciting. Yeah, like Alex, I think I'm also very excited about the recommendation engine because I've been reading about this for some time now. How Amazon and all these. E e-marketing companies have been doing that so that was exciting for me too and I'm looking forward to learning more about that but what I found very interesting and I would say uh, what crystallized my understanding about CNN and SGD was how Jeremy demonstrated everything in Excel and I really find his style unique and very um, effective I must say in cementing the understanding and like taking everything just to the basic fundamental level and explaining everything which not a lot of textbooks or people do and uh, it was it was really a confidence building it was kind of a confidence building measure to really see how he's doing that and be able to replicate all that in excel by myself and i found that very empowering that's what I'm actually excited about too. It's like, um, I, I, it seems like you can actually write um, not just Excel code, but uh, I guess Visual Basic to um, yes. write a lot of it. Like, yeah. So that was that's pretty pretty interesting for me. Um, and what's also interesting for me is that. I mean, he mentioned in the video that CNN are also, are also doing well in um, natural language processing. I, I, I've heard that, yeah, RNNs, uh, recurrent neural networks, are like usually the go-to. But um, to me, this is great because that's one less thing for me to like basically learn. Maybe this is like one thing that's closer to the singularity. So um, I'm very <laughs> appreciative. <laughs> 
um, I think. Oh yeah, it's also just really interesting to see. Um, just watching him uh, get asked a lot of questions by the students themselves, and when they ask questions, it's usually like his answer from a lot of times is like, "Yeah, just uh, you just try it out." You know, like it's always kind of more about empiricism as opposed to this like crazy theory that um, uh, yeah I was kind of like expecting. So that was mm, that is interesting because I guess I mean. Because once you have the deep learning architecture, like, idea down, it's just, like, guess and check. Yep. <laughs> a lot of sense. It's like, uh, you have the hyperparameters that you, like, set and change at a pace that you decide based on the feedback that you get on the fly, generally. And then you, like, yeah, based on the feedback, you change the architecture or whatever around. And I, I believe this is the beauty of working in a developing field. Like, nobody knows the answers yet, and everybody's figuring things out, optimizing things, and that just makes you feel good about the efforts that you're putting because you know that you are probably the only one or one of the few people who are actually trying this, and that just adds so much more value and meaning to your efforts. And also, when Jeremy, like for when they did the, the learning rate demonstration of like, oh, well, here's Adam, where, like, I forget exactly what it was, but it's one of the styles. And then Eve just like adds momentum to it. And then, like, Jeremy was like, oh, well, I'm going to do like another twist on it, like on the fly. And I think this is going to yeah, be Yeah, I thought that was really funny. It's like, yeah, we're at the you know yeah. forefront of doing science. <laughs> uh, but it also made me feel like that I could do it too. I was like, yeah, you know, this is really just having a strong intuition of the basics yeah. and knowing, like, what to expect from different actions. Like, even his response of, like, oh, when he pre-trained the, um, like, dense layer because it takes a lot of time. But then he didn't include max pulling into it. And he was like, oh, the student, one of the students was like, why didn't you include that in? And he was just like, oh, yeah, it's because it's quick to calculate anyways. So that's just something you can experiment with again. Um, so I was like, oh, man, that's, you know, not an intuition I had, but like just reaffirmed the importance of having that intuition so that you can like really maximize your each action well cool so mine passed that's uh anything you wish you knew five hours ago or three hours ago that would have helped you learn i don't have anything to share then. let me think yeah i think i'm good too so uh mine future um that's just like um, you know, anything that you learned that this would make it easier for you to remember now that you've learned it. Some kind of like concept that you learned. I can go here. So one of the papers that I read was about uh, what a convolution is. So I sort of 
like from a, I guess from a mathematical perspective. So I made up this analogy that sort of extended the demonstration of what the paper talked about. And I don't know if it's accurate or not, but it helped me understand convolutions. So in the paper, they talk about um, how the definition of, of convolution is that it's a type of probability. And um, the example they gave was if you're, I guess, throwing a ball twice or dropping a ball twice, um, and like across a like a line, basically. So you see how much it traveled the first time you dropped it, and you see how much it traveled the second time. A convolution is. I guess the probability, if, if A and B are the distance traveled between the first and second toss, then convolution is the probability that A plus B is greater than or equal to C, like some arbitrary distance. Because there's like, oh, well, it might you know travel between 1 and 10 meters the first time and 1 and 10 meters the second time. So what are the chances that it's going to be over 15 meters, like in total? And like... You have to add up, I guess, you know, well, if it travels one, if it travels only, you know, or it travels five meters the first time, then it has to travel ten the next time. So, like, that's a problem. You know, like, the probability change based on the first event. So I was like, and I guess, um, I guess with convolutions, I guess rather than dropping the ball twice, you might just drop it like 512 or like a million times or whatever and sort of the analogy that I had in my mind was like you know if through your you know throwing the ball you wanted to know like how many times would you have to throw the ball a certain way to like get it over Mount Everest so that you would know it's Mount Everest but the same ball tosses wouldn't work for like um, like a, a valley in Switzerland or something like that. So it's like, oh, it works for this, but not for that. And um, I guess that was just an idea that I thought about, but I'm not sure if that's actually really. Wait, that why would it not? <laughs> in understanding why what would it not work is. for a valley? But it, I, I missed that one. Like it wouldn't work for one, but it would work for like. The tall one, like Mount Everest. What was your? Could you explain that again? Right. I guess. Sure. So I think when you're doing, it's just another way of saying um, in deep learning, like when you're coming up with those patterns about like what does or doesn't fit. You're sort of uh, like memorizing like a certain like reaction to like the ball tosses, I guess. I guess now that I'm talking about it, I'm not sure if this makes any sense at all. I'm like reading over notes that I wrote over last time, but sorry. Yeah, the way I think of convolutions um, in a simpler sense, I think of dice rolls. Sure. Because um, when you convolve, so you have a probability distribution of the dice rolls. They're all like one six, one six, one six, one six, one six, one six for the six items. It convolved that with the same thing. You get the sum of the two dice. Like, so 
the if you look for the probability of getting a seven, it's six out of thirty-six. And if you're getting, uh, you want the probability of getting a six, it's five out of thirty-six, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You could get that using a convolution. Yeah, you just slide the two. I would call them signals because it's signal processing. But yeah, you could slide them and then multiply and 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 add kind of like the way we were doing it with a two-dimensional example. And you start getting the triangle. Basically, yeah, it gives you the probability of getting a sum of the two dice rolls. Like probability of getting like yeah, a seven, a six, a five. You'll, you'll see a triangle. If you keep doing the convolution of that with another uh, dice roll over like many, many runs, you'll start getting a, a normal distribution curve. Um, and then now you have like the central limit theorem, but oh, that's that's for later. <laughs> yeah, which is pretty cool. Got it. Right. So one thing I guess I still wasn't able to mix into my understanding of, I guess, the probability understanding of what a convolution is, is how that applies to deep learning exactly. It was like once I started reading the paper, I was like, okay, I thought I was doing convolutions of like, um, just like multiplying like a number and I, I kind of got lost in how convolution fits into the whole deep learning. Like, yeah, the way I, I, I learned a, more a little bit about it, I think is like reading like Michael Nielsen's book, because he, he like he uses MNIST data set. So that's the data set with the zero to nine digits. So he builds a neural network from scratch without convolution at all. And it does pretty great, like with the zero to nine, as long as this is a big if, like if the digits are basically centered uh, on the image. Um, but once you start moving those things around, I think this other article talked about, yeah, moving the, that thing around, the, that neural network is probably going to not, not do so well. And that's where the convolutions come in is like they help you supposedly gain, I guess, like location invariance or I forgot what the term was. It's some something invariance such that like things in the image. So I think Jeremy in the previous lessons talked about it's really easy for us to recognize where a baby is or a person is no matter what the location of that person is on the image. Um, I think that's what the CNN or the convolutions in the neural network um, bias. But the way I was, uh, I understood convolution was, um, especially in the context of what the kind of image classification that we're doing, where there's only one image that is uh, centered, is um, you're basically just using filters to find the most defining features of that particular image. And you can't just apply a filter and uh, like just say, oh, this could be a cat. This has to be a gradual process where you slowly weed out the noise. And since we're applying these subtle filters repeatedly over and over again, that's why it's known as a convolution. So it's the process of applying a filter over and over again which is why it's known as a convolution. Uh, so a neural network, right. so. yeah. So if you just do it once, I mean, you'll still get a neural network, but because you're doing it again and again, you call it a convolution 
neural network. That's how I understood it. And in order to find these uh, unique identifying features, you've got to apply the filter very slowly, as I said before. Slowly remove the noise and then the, emerge, then the pattern emerges. And that's how I would say the neural network like, assigns a probability to, oh, this is probably a seven or this is a, probably a f dog. And the reason that this right. is black right. box is because, um, not because it's like we don't know what the neural network is doing, but because uh, I, I think it's because it was not yet possible to, to see what is happening after each filter. And I think that's what um, the paper that Jeremy mentioned, the people, the team from Oxford who won the 2016 ImageNet competition, uh, that's what they demonstrated that what exactly the network is seeing after each filter and that has been really crucial in understanding how neural networks actually work so they are not as black boxy as they were a few years ago and we now like have a more clear understanding of what is happening after each layer If that makes sense. So, I'm going to step back for a second. Um, so, just to make sure I nailed convolutions and probability. So, for instance, to bring it back to throwing the ball, like, I guess each, of, each time you do a filter, you know, a ball is like a function. It's just performing an operation, like a filter, which is basically transforming the data in some way. And seeing what the result is and then um, yeah at the end you yeah just that you look at the probability that it's a cat or not and I, I think that's what I meant with my original example like oh you know if it's like a mountain or a cityscape or whatever and um, yeah, oh, I I, I kind of now understand what Alex was trying to say. So <laughs> you take a ball and you throw it and you see where it lands and you do that repeatedly and you kind of develop a pattern based on the ball's response and just based on where that ball is landing, you kind of figure out the landscape. Is that, Alex, is that kind of what you had in mind? Yeah, oh, oh. yeah, it is. It's like you know, if you like pre-programmed like a, a ball toss like sequence where it's like first I'm gonna hurl the ball and then I'm gonna gently drop. The ball, oh, I got I'm it. Gonna, like launch it really hard. Like that would form like some kind of yeah, pattern. Yeah. Where it's like oh, like each hopefully each one would like minimize the loss uh, each time for. Um, like a particular type, like maybe it's just like, is this a mountain or is this a valley or something? But yeah. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I like that. Thanks. <laughs> I had worked really hard on it, but now that I got in here, I was like, I totally forgot what this meant. <laughs> well, I, I got it, yeah. I think the main, uh, I, I believe the main my main issue with that analogy earlier was um, I kept visualizing SGD as a ball going down a slope, which is why I kind of had a hard time relating that mm. to convolution. But yeah, oh, I get that. Oh, that was really uh, clever. So legit. Yeah. 
cool. Thanks. Um, yeah. So, anything else from anyone? Mm, no. Cool. So, we'll just close out by saying what your uh, main takeaway was from this week. I can go. Um, I... I had a difficult time understanding SGD when I just had, when I had just come across that concept and uh, after reading Michael Nielsen's chapter one and um, Jer following Jeremy's second and the third and fourth video tutorial, I think I have a pretty good understanding of what stochastic gradient descent is and how the learning how dependent it is on the learning rate and uh, it was nice just visualizing how derivatives actually work and what derivatives actually do and he also talked about analytical versus finite derivative and that's something i'm still studying uh, but it was nice just it was kind of a throwback on high school mathematics and finally seeing how it applies in such a state-of-the-art tech concept I really enjoyed that part of the video. Nice. Uh, for me, yeah, it's just uh, what I've said earlier before. Uh, I'm hoping that one day we will just have like one algorithm to like rule them all. So, I mean, um, <laughs> yes, some people say there is no free lunch. There's the no free lunch theorem that basically, like, I guess, states there is no perfect model like, or perfect algorithm for each data set or something like that. But yeah, less less things for me to learn and just like stuff. Uh, I have more to like just use for I guess you know I have more things to apply to data sets in in a way because you only special I guess specialize with one ultimate algorithm. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess you know. I'll just add in something I thought of just now, which is uh, just from the way that we've been talking about Jeremy, I realized from the way that he teaches class that it's very personable. Like, I feel like I really know Jeremy. I'm like, yeah, you know, Jeremy would do this. If he uh, encountered this issue, he'd be like, well, yeah. And then he'd like answer it once without fully answering the question. But like, you have to do some extra work and then you did fully yeah. answer it. I'm just like, yeah, I totally. know Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to episode 8 of Startup Data Science. In the next episode, we will discuss our experiences with the second part of Lesson 4 of Practical Deep Learning for Coders. We will talk about recommendation systems. Till next time. <laughs>